you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What these young bloods have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Welcome to Buckets, brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, joined by Albert Wynn. You know him as Analytics Capper, at Analytics Capper on Twitter, and in the award-winning Action Network app, the best way for you to track your picks. Get up to the second information where the bets and money are coming in and find all sorts of great information and shows like our daily Green Dot Daily to set your betting agenda, as well as you can find video versions of this here podcast right here. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, give us those likes, follow us on Spotify and all different platforms. Albert, you had yourself a weekend, AC. You killed it in NFL and NBA. We did. We did. It was a good week. A lot of those uh, dogs finally were barking this weekend, but I'm excited to talk about this coming week in the NBA. I know you and I, I've been going back and forth on some of these awards here, but uh, I'm looking to see what you think in terms of the six-man award. Yeah, so let's start there. So this is our, by the way, this is our Monday recap show. We'll talk about basically the weekend through the prism of what we've seen on uh, the awards market and the moves on there. We're going to start with six-man of the year. We'll also do the most important covers of the weekend and if you had to bet. All right, so six-man of the year. Let's go ahead and talk about this. The The funniest and most interesting one to me is Ben is Benedict Matherin. I called him Benedict and not Benjamin win for me. Uh, Benedict Matherin moves all the way to fourth, fourth at plus yeah. 3,600. This market is still very long on FanDuel. Like there's, it's early enough that there's basically a whole lot of don't know. So the books are actually offering you a lot of longer odds on this market. If you have a strong position, uh, you know, Matherin, obviously just a red hot start. He's shooting some pretty ridiculous numbers so far he finally had like a bad game last week and i was like okay finally we'll get some like reject regression on benedict matherin maybe this won't be like such a thing and then no he goes off again he's averaging like 27 per 36 minutes he leads all players with more than one bench appearance in points per game which obviously has always been the determining factor for this award Mm -hmm. and i was like well come on he's a rookie the Rookies can't win this award, but Ben Gordon, 2005, 
for the Chicago Bulls. Really fun player. Ben Gordon won it. There's precedent here to give a rookie a six-man award. So there's a lot to kind of weigh in here as, as far as, you know, how this will project. I think the first questioning is, like, is the shooting sustainable? Kid's an elite shooter. Like, I, this was, you know, this was – the him being a bucket was the mark out of college. It's not yeah. like this is some sort of, like, well, we thought it might be okay. Like, no, everyone knew that he had a great jump shot. He's taken really high-quality looks. That's what I found in the offense – Let's talk about the first that first though. Do you think now? Obviously, I think 27 per 36 is probably stretching it. One, let's before we get into the starting question. One, do you think that he can keep up this level of efficiency and scoring production for a Pacers team that's obviously running at a pretty high pace? Yeah, I guess first and foremost, I guess you just have to be named Ben, right? B E N to start your name and you might win this award as a rookie. But that being said, we know we've mentioned this in a previous podcast, but that Rick Carlisle space offensive system is going to really allow shooters to do great in this system. So if you can shoot the ball well, which we're not only seeing with Matherin, but we're seeing with Halliburton, both numbers are absurd right now. And he's going to continue to space the floor and play quickly. So Rick Carlo is going to give you, get you in positions to score a lot of points. Do I think it's sustainable? Obviously not. I mean, nobody in the history of, you know, the NBA can shoot like this, even like prime Steph Curry, but do I think he can be like 89, 90% of what he's doing right now? Of course. With that being said, it's still early. It's a small sample size and we know once we get into like January, February, March, that's when it gets really tough especially when defenses know how you play at that point. So they're going to scheme against you. But I like this look, Matt, plus 3,600 for six man of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's 36 to one. So if you've got a position on six man, it's probably good to add Matherin just based off of his early production in case it is like, you know, a fan duel pools moved to minus 110 and, you know, he's averaging 18 per game, which I think is good. Like this, it's definitely, we expect pool to kind of be in that conversation. I'm not sure that I love the pool bet right now. The problem is he's already minus 110. And if he moves even further, like if he has a couple of good games and he does get a lead, this is what happened last year is Tyler Hero went from like plus 800 to a a minus 200 in less than I think a month and a half last year. Like we talked about an NBA bet, which you can find um, at at NBA.com slash NBA bet. I wrote a Futures Friday column. I was like, you need to get on Hero right now. Like, this number's going to absolutely vanish. It was very evident that, that Tyler Hero was going to win six man of the year. Like, barring an injury, it was just pretty apparent that Hero was going to win that. I don't feel the same way about Pool. I don't necessarily like trust him in the way that I trust Hero to put up the numbers consistently, given they have so much other firepower. Like, Tyler Hero was in a position where it's literally like they need what he has, like, they need someone yeah. to get buckets. The Warriors do not struggle to score. They're struggling to defend right now, but not to score. So uh, I'm not sure that even though the number is moving, this may be one where I'm wrong and I miss the limited value, but at minus 110, I don't think that there's good value on Jordan Poole. One guy I do like, if, there, if I was going to bet on one guy, I'll go ahead and, you know, this will be my pick in the, uh, in the later segment. Norman Powell right now is plus 6,500. When Brandon Anderson brought this name to me on our preseason podcast, I told him how much I hated it. I was like, no way. The Clippers are so deep. They're so versatile, blah, 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 blah. And then like I watched preseason was like, damn it. Brandon's going to be right. <laughs> like the worst of all worlds. He's always right. When Brandon's right. But look at 65 to one, this is an absurd number. It, his numbers are down because of how he started the season. He couldn't shoot worth a lick. 
-hmm. last two games in anticipation of Kawhi's return, probably later this week until he goes out again, they transitioned Powell to a bench role. Okay. So they transitioned Powell to this bench role. So he's already fitting in there and he started to really get loose. It's now 18 per game on 50, 43 splits. That's really good. I will ask you this question about Powell that ties into Matherin as well. What are the chances that they, those guys wind up getting moved into starting spots, do you think, which could ruin, obviously, uh, their eligibility for six-man of the year? Yeah, that's always a big risk, right? I mean, not only not only uh, Norman Powell, but even Jordan Poole, right? They're going to load manage Clay Thompson. He's probably going to be put in the starting lineup uh, pretty often. Same with someone like a Christian Wood, who's going to get that starting center position over JaVale pretty soon. Uh, but that, the thing I like about Norman Powell is – He's a veteran. He's 29 years old, so he knows good shots and bad shots, and he's not going to force things like a young player or a rookie would. So, yes, Matherin is on a toward pace, but you expect some regression there and the rookie wall to hit eventually, whereas Norman Powell's been through this, the ringer, you know, multiple seasons now. This is, I believe, his third team. He's on a contender, so he, he knows exactly what to do. And maybe also he's going to get some bonus points because we know he can play defense as well. But to answer your question, um, do I think they're going to get um, ineligible because they play too many starter minutes? Potentially, right? Because Clay, Clay Thompson, obviously, but I'm talking about Kawhi, who is going to be load managed the entire season and probably for the rest of his career. So um, maybe, maybe Norman Powell will become ineligible. Yeah, like splitting time could definitely be a thing. With Matherin, it just kind of seems like by the end of the season, why aren't you playing your five best? And if you're tanking, why aren't you playing Matherin and sitting down Halliburton and just letting Matherin put up numbers? Good point. Uh, so him, you know, at that point, if I'll put it this way. If Matherin's good, maybe Matherin might be a, a solid bet here if you take him for both rookie of the year and six man. Because if he doesn't get moved into the start, if he gets moved into the starting unit more minutes, he could probably make a chase at Paolo, even though we talked about Paolo last week. And if he stays on the bench, he'll be the best bench player in terms of scoring, maybe. And so that that might be like a way to, to play. If you're looking at him, like look at both options because that covers you in case he starts. But I do think for me, Norman Powell plus 6,500 is the best value on the board. Speaking of Brandon, Brandon put in on Sunday night yeah. and bragged about it because he knew it would, it would make people's heads explode. After two games of Russell Westbrook looking good off the bench, Brandon bet Russell Westbrook plus 10,000, 100 to one, plus 10,000. You noted this in our notes. It's already moved to plus 5,500 in a matter of hours. Uh, look, it would be a great story if Russ came off the bench for sure. I'm trying to envision a scenario in which with that offense, he generates enough, and especially with where his shooting has been, for him to score enough because this has always been a scoring award. I think there would be probably some voters who would look at it as insulting to him based off of his career. Like there's a lot of people that, that will take jabs at him for how his career has spiraled, but there's enough people that, I mean, you saw this last night in the Lakers wins like good for us. Like good. I'm glad to see him no longer being a punchline. Those type of voters, I think are probably unlikely to vote for Russ for six man because they understand that it's kind of like, Oh, good job. You won six man of the year. You were the best bench player because you can no longer start. So I wonder if there's a little bit of a bias there. I can't argue with Brandon at 100 to one, which is why he takes these things. Uh, what are your thoughts on Russell Westbrook and his six man of the year potential? Yeah, I guess the first caveat I want to say is I'm not a Russell Westbrook hater by any means, uh, but it would be a, a crazy career arc, right? To, to go into the league where he went into win MVP, 
average multiple triple doubles for the season, get benched and win the sixth man of the year. Might as well just give him most improved, right? Because he was yeah. just horrible last year as well. With that being said, it's crazy how low the bar is set right now for Russell Westbrook. He did have a really good game Sunday night against the Nuggets where he had an amazing floor game. He was rebounding the ball, getting his teammates free, free baskets and free shots but he still shot under 50%, right? That's so his standard now is as long as you get close, close to 50% from the field, then, you know, you're having a good season or a good game. So I don't know. I think this is a fun bet. The fact that it's 55 to one now, uh, I mean, Brandon has amazing CLV, but it's CLV doesn't really bring anything to you CLV. unless it cashes. Yeah. Can eat CLV. Uh, finally, I do want to talk about the Christian Wood situation. He's plus 410 currently. We talked about him. Brandon had him as the worst value on the board, uh, the the worst favorite last week in our worst favorite section on the Friday pod. So a couple of things happened over the weekend. Uh, they put Christian Wood in late and they lose. And Jason Kidd throws him under the bus post game. That's always been a concern. Uh, league people I talked to this summer, I asked them about the Mavericks and what was going to happen. And they had a couple of questions. They're like, can Luca hold up under what he's going to have to do? Uh, can the defense play at the level that it did last year? And the third thing was, is Jason Kidd going to kill Christian Wood? Like that was like the third thing that they talked about as far as them not being a fit. Now I will just say they've been really good in Christian Wood's minutes and they've been really terrible in JaVale McGee's minutes. This is just like a fact, like you can say why or how or whatever, but that's what's happened. I do think that there's going to be a strong resistance from Jason Kidd to starting Christian Wood, that no matter how well he plays or what numbers he puts up, I think Jason Kidd is going to make this an issue that he doubles down on and does it out of sheer stubbornness. Coaches are absolutely wired this way. I think players, as Jason Kidd's a former one, are a little wired this way of, no, this is what's best. I will prove it. I don't care. I don't care what, what happens, what the numbers are. Like this is becoming a very clear, like I will just say Christian Wood doesn't want to come off the bench. That's pretty apparent. That doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Doesn't want, he's, he's okay doing so. He's been good about, okay, but how well he's playing that might change in the future that can cause tension. Now that might self-destruct, right? If it comes to a head and Wood gets traded, he might go somewhere that starts and then your six man bets are dead. But this is for right now, if you assume that Christian Wood's going to be on the Mavericks for the long term, at this point, I would say I don't like the number now at 410. I do think that if the number gets longer, there's probably some value on him. Um, just because right now I feel like you're chasing steam and I don't want to do that. But if this gets longer again, back to six or eight hundred, there's probably some value on Wood because he is going to continue to put up buckets. Yeah, let's let's just take a step back and look at Christian Wood's uh, career for a second, right? This is his seventh team. There's a reason why he's on team number seven. There's a reason why he's a fringe starter. He's just an inconsistent uh, performer. When he's going great, he's going great. When he's bad, it's really bad. I don't think he was the sole reason they, you know, blew that double digit point lead in the fourth quarter and lost to the thunder, but he had really bad five fouls. He was shooting terribly and just forcing the action. The important thing with Christian Wood is that, He's doing more than scoring when his team is down or when his team needs something to go to like this previous game, he actually had 10 rebounds. That's pretty good for Christian Wood, especially for someone who averages. Uh, if I look at the numbers around seven, a game for his career, the fact that he pick, picked up seven and, you know, 22 minutes of gameplay is really good, but he had a really amazing start to the year averaging 20 scoring 25, 25 and 23 
The last three games have been really bad, 11, 11, and 5. With that being said, though, I think it's going to be an ongoing thing because Jason Kidd did win a championship with Jason Terry as the sixth man. Jason Terry, for all those years in Dallas, could have been the starter, um, but they elected to go with defense as the off guard and Jason Terry to kind of be the electric, you know, scoring punch off the bench. And I think that's what Kidd is looking for when it comes to Christian Wood. Um, I don't think the important thing is who starts. The important thing is going to be who's going to finish. And if he finishes and he's one of the main reasons why they lose, Jason Kidd definitely will pull him pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, the starting two guard for those, that championship team, by the way, Deshaun Stevenson <laughs> yeah. once had a ATM in his house. So let's move on to our second segment, which is the mic drop. Most important covers. This looks back at the weekend and gives you a sense of what were the important things that we saw betting wise over the weekend. We'll start with your Cleveland Cavaliers who are five and one straight up and five and one against the spread with Donovan Mitchell, absolutely electric averaging 32 points, five boards, seven assists, four turnovers a game. Uh, sensational weekend for Donovan Mitchell in comeback wins versus the Boston Celtics and the New York Knicks. Uh, the Celtics, or I'm sorry, the Cavaliers right now are number one in adjusted net rating, fourth in offense and third in defense at dunksandthrees.com, which accounts for schedule. They're doing all this with no Darius Garland, their second all-star. They're getting it done without. Uh, great performance again on Sunday with a scoring output of 121 points, despite Karis LeVert not hitting a single fucking three after I bet his over on three pointers made and Jared Allen only scoring six points after I bet him for a double double. How do you score 121 and Jared Allen has six and Karis LeVert doesn't hit it. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, but look, th this Cavaliers team, Brandon was high on them. I was high, but not as high. I, this to me looks like that team that's going to make a, a ruckus in the Eastern conference. I don't, we'll talk about the betting implications in a second. Um, I do think that this team looks like Mitchell was the missing piece. They continue to look very well coached. The defense is holding up. Uh, Mobley starting to get going after the first couple of games when I was a little concerned with him. Doing all this without Garland is incredibly impressive, even with how inconsistent the rest of the league is. Just a phenomenal start for the Cavs, and they do look like they're going to – the overbetters and the, the betters that had them on various futures are looking pretty good right now. Yeah, you and I have followed this league for a long time, and a recipe to win championships is, is to be top 10 in both offense and defense. Well, this team is top five in offense and defense. That is absurd. Uh, you mentioned it. They have the number one adjusted net rating. I think uh, when it comes to point differential, they're number two overall in the league. With that being said, they're doing this without Garland. They're doing this without Ricky Rubio. They haven't really fit Karis LeVert or Okoro into the lineup yet, you know, from the system standpoint. So I think there's still a lot of uh, room to grow as far as how high this ceiling can go. And they're starting the year out just like how they did last year, right? On fire, just covering every game. They're 5-1 ATS. And that game against the Knicks, um, I mean, Donovan Mitchell blew me away. There was, a, there was a move where he did a hard dribble to his right, spin move back to, you know, the middle of the lane and dunked it. 
and didn't say anything. He literally just walked off the court onto the bench as if that was just normal for him. And that was not a normal play. There's only a few people in the entire world that can do something like that. It was definitely him being extra motivated, being extra focused and really taking it to the team where he thought he was going to go to. So it was cool for me to see. I don't know if Donovan Mitchell is going to stay there long-term. Maybe Matt, you have more intel on that, but as far as this season is concerned, I think they're the real deal. And I think it's really between uh, Milwaukee, Boston, and Cleveland right now as the top three teams in the East. I don't get a, too far ahead in the beginning with guys because it, it's usually good vibes to start. There was the the whole report of uh, Donovan Mitchell being excited when he announced that he was going to Cleveland and they weren't having to give up any of the, the major components. It, it's He's embraced the community, which is a very good thing. This seems like a very good... I always kind of thought that it was possible that Donovan would embrace a team like this with a, a really high ceiling. If he basically, he wasn't playing with Rudy Gobert. I don't mean to make <laughs> it. It's not really fair to Rudy, but that just seemed like a, a component of it. He seems, you know, very engaged with the team, but it's early, you know, we'll see if that holds as he gets closer uh, to free agency. I think it's interesting that to, to look at how the market will adjust on this team, because it, I think we'll talk about this in a little bit, with another factor, but the preseason power ratings are still getting anchored to substantially in these spots. Now I had the Knicks on Sunday and felt really good about it after three quarters, My gosh! Um, but the, you know, the Cavs were only four point favorites at home versus the Knicks. We adjust for home court. And that puts this at, you know, Cavs minus one to pick them depending on the power on the, the home court rating in Madison square garden in retrospect, like that seems like a, that should have been a red flag for me to be like, mm, this line's probably not right. That the Cavs are probably better than that. A power rating of only four at, on, with home court for, against the Knicks, even though the Knicks have been good, probably a little weak. So there's going to probably be a little bit of squeeze. We'll see what the next lines come out. We'll talk about that on our, uh, our nightly best bet shows, but it will be interesting to see what the, the lines look like for Cleveland elsewhere. It's thunder up, man. How about the Oklahoma city thunder? Without Chet Holmgren, with Jalen Williams out, three and three, and they've got wins versus the Wolves, the Clippers, and the Mavericks on Sunday. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander is averaging thirty-one points, five rebounds, seven assists on really good splits. He has been sensational. Uh, I looked at him for most improved player this morning. I'll probably be looking at him uh, more in the next segment. I think Shea is making the leap to absolute superstar. This Thunder team. Now, I will say this: I looked at the numbers. Last two seasons since the bubble, right? So Chris Paul leaves, they shift to the rebuild. In the first 20 games, this team has operated as a, they've won at a 31 win pace. You will notice that they do not finish with 30 or more wins because they know how to shut things down and, and, and pivot. But like right now, this Thunder team's really competitive and they're, they're just kind of hanging in there behind and they've got Shea and some dudes and they're making it work, and they're really tough to play every single night. Uh, I was at the the Nuggets home opener versus the Thunder, and they got out of that game with a win, the Nuggets did, but Michael Malone was talking about how much of a pain that team is to play because of how tough they are and how well-prepared they are every single night. Pretty impressive, and the market has to be behind, I think, on OKC, given the talent that's there. Yeah, I love OKC, man. I mean, they're just a, a three-hour drive north of me here in Dallas, so I follow OKC pretty closely um, with that being said, Shea's numbers are super impressive. Like you mentioned, 31, 5, and 7. A lot of that do is due to Josh Giddy being out, you know, for a few games here for OKC. 
And it's crazy. I don't know if you looked at, you know, just the stats in general, Matt, but we have 11 guys right now averaging 30 points. I don't think we've ever seen that ever uh, since I started watching right in the, in the nineties. So I think it was just Jordan and Dominique for like seven years straight. That was just over 30. Now we have 11 guys over 30, but no impressive stuff by the thunder again, awesome comeback victory against the Mavs there. Uh, a few nights ago, I think they were up, down 17 with a few minutes left in the fourth, got into the overtime and just dominated the Mavericks. Again, that was a Christian Wood bench game there. But um, I love this team. And you're right, though. I think we're going to get to maybe February or so when they start just sitting all their guys and going for the Victor sweepstakes. Finally, kind of leading into this conversation with the Thunder, uh, the dogs are barking to start their early season. It's been absolutely wild. If we kind of look back, I pulled some numbers on this. In the last five seasons, underdogs have won outright when they covered 30% of the time. This season, that's up to 38%. That's wow. a huge increase there, yeah. and especially when you're talking about how big of dogs these are. Um, since 2003, with a money line of plus 250 or higher, uh, dogs are 118, 571, and oh, that's 17%. They're two and three this season. And at 300 or longer, uh, it, they are six and 11 with a 73% ROI. 73%. Wow. If you bet on every dog of plus 250 or more on the money line this season, you'd be up a whopping 1,250 bucks for a 73.5% ROI return per Bet Labs at Action Network. I am not advising you to bet on every single dog at plus 250, but I, I will say like, if you, there's a spot that you like, I think these early season games are where you can find value. So it's always been kind of known. Like it's the same with every sport, right? The NFL early lines are, are really soft because you're all basing off of preseason priors and then it gets harder and harder and harder. And then the last two weeks of the season are crazy because everybody's resting for the playoffs and NBA is largely like the same thing where, the back half of the of the schedule, we talked about this last year with Raheem Palmer all the time, now the ringer, about how it gets really, really difficult. Like Professional bettors get way more selective in the second half of the year because these lines get so sharp. Right now, you're having to adhere to your power ratings. Like You're having to stick to those. They're anchored, at least. Even if you're making manual adjustments, which the books are, they're not going to treat like the numbers I have based off of the, the projections that I'm using have like wild stuff, obviously, because we're within the first seven games here. Um, as an example, if we look at the Los Angeles Clippers, right? Like I've got the Clippers as minus 1.3 versus an average team right now. You cannot set a line with the Clippers assumed as a minus team versus an average squad. So yeah these are all kind of power rated against that. And if you find spots where a team isn't finding itself, the wolves, I think are a good example of this, right? Where they lose the Spurs twice. I think I bet on the wolves both times. Good job by me, but <laughs> I, I'm, it's a good spot though, right? The wolves are still trying to figure out playing with Rudy Gobert, playing bigger, doing all these things. The Spurs are like, they know what they're doing. They don't have any egos. They have to appease. They're a well-organized disciplined team. They got some breaks to go their way. Yaka Pirtle played fantastic and they come out with the win. It's more about the numbers I think are off with these teams more than it has to do with really, because again, like these winning percentages are not high. 
dogs are still losing. And most of these dogs that are winning are just OKC and San Antonio. And then like Portland was one that was a big dog. The Jazz were monster dogs on opening night. This will fade. I do think for the first 20 games or so, and this has been historic, You there is it's actually profitable to bet the dogs at a certain number, 350 or higher, over the first 20 games because it takes those 20 games for the books to adjust the power rating. Yeah, 100%. You mentioned the Spurs, the Jazz. Don't forget the Pistons. They beat the Warriors outright as well over the weekend, being double-digit underdogs there. So I think you're right. I mean, it's very similar to uh, – there's there's a trend in the National Hockey League as well, Matt, where if you bet all the, the plus money that is over 300 in the last 25 years – you're actually up. So that's a lot of data there backing that minus 400 and minus 450 favorites just don't win enough to really garner enough ROI there. So um, I love dogs as a regressional better myself. I'm looking for spots from underdogs in general. So I like it. That's why it's probably been a, a very great season so far for me. Okay. And our final segment, the, if you had to bet the awards. So this is just a quick rundown of where we think the best value is right now. We'll start with MVP. Uh, Giannis is plus 320. He was plus 700 last week yeah. when, when you and I talked about him. It makes sense. Giannis has been the most unstoppable player in the league. Best player in the world. Yeah, best player in the world. No question. I mean, he's just, he's, he's better this season. I don't know how. He's better. Like, there's nothing you can do against Giannis right now. And this is without mid, which is crazy. I, I know you got some thoughts on that. Uh, I feel great about my position, which is I've got, I haven't, I, I always have an, a large number, but my biggest positions are Luca and Giannis right now. And I feel great about that. Obviously whopping seven games into the season, Luca's putting up the numbers. Giannis has the eye test and has the wins. So I, I feel like I have the bases covered as far as the early start. I'm going to have to add more as the season goes on. That's what I do. But if I had to bet it right now, I'd still bet Giannis plus 320 because he's putting up monster numbers. He's been the most unstoppable player. And he's, I mean, he's single-handedly wrecking every team that he runs into. Yeah. I love how you do it, Matt, because you're building a portfolio out of different positions and, you know, different angles like that. But you do have the two best players right now going with Luca and Giannis. And Giannis has been incredible. Not only has he gotten better, but his percentages have gotten better for the free throw line. He's just a lot better shooting fadeaways, things like that as well. But I will caveat that by saying with Chris Middleton coming back, I think that's going to eat a little bit into the numbers. And plus, I don't think Giannis, personally, I don't think he's going for an MVP. And I don't think he cares about it as much an NBA championship. Because um, I think he wants to lower his minutes. I don't think he wants to be, you know, averaging 35, 10 and 10 like he is right now. I think if he gets his teammates involved and he understands if Middleton's coming back, if Drew and Grayson can continue to play well, I think that just makes his team better. Whereas the Mavericks, they need every little ounce of what Luka Doncic does for them. Um, he's the first player, um, you know, since Michael Jordan, 1986, scoring over 30 points in the first six games of the year. And I just don't see that type of production slowing down. Even games where he's not shooting well, he's able to get to the line to get his scoring up. And you know he's always going to rebound the ball as well as dish the ball. Um, he had an amazing game, you know, this past time out, he had 30 points just in the first half. I think he ended with 44. I think we're going to see that type of production kind of like peak James Harden on Houston, where he dribbles the ball 80% of the time. And everything that happens for that team is because of Luca's doing. Um, so I think just from sheer volume, you do have the best two players, but I still think Luca comes out ahead, especially if the Mavericks 
somehow manufacture to get like to 50 wins or something like that. I've got parlays with Giannis and Josh Allen and Giannis with Patrick Mahomes for <laughs> NFL MVP. And those are, are looking enjoyable right now. Uh, Mahomes, Giannis, I got it plus 7,900. So wow, nice. hoping for that to come home. Uh, six man of the year. We talked about it previously to me, the best value on the board is Norman Powell at 65 to one. Again, I just don't like Jordan Poole at this point that may I'm, I'm not, you know, I added the Norman Powell bet this morning, 65 to one. I'm okay. If this is a market I miss out on, uh, I got a hero last year. It's possible the pool just jets through the next month of the season. All of the value evaporates and we're done there. I don't think it'll happen. I think there's a possibility that Kerr has to get invented with lineups this season, et cetera. So I'm holding out there. If I had to bet right now, it'd be Norman Powell for six man. I guess my, my question to you, Matt, is why do, why is Jordan Poole leading the race right now? Because if you look at previous six man of the year awards, they've been doing more than what Jordan has done this year. And I don't know, you mentioned it, averaging only 18 points a game against a team that's not really like dominating other teams right now. I just don't understand why he's the betting favorite. I think there's an expectation that they're just going to put up a lot of numbers. I think it's based off of usage and probably there's been movement come in on him. I think if you look at, he's on the board for scoring, which is all that's really ever mattered with this award. We talked about that a lot. It's all like to, to quote the great Bill Russell the games always been about buckets. Um, so I think that plays a little bit of a role with it. He's at, you know, he's at 16 per game, 45, 33, 81. If the three point shooting gets up, that's likely to kind of to, to boost him into where he needs to get to. Uh, I don't worry about the advanced metrics with him just based off of, uh, that's never really mattered if you're a winning player or not. Averaging 5.7 assists, which matters a little. It helps if you're close with another scorer. Um, I get why he's the favorite. I don't like get why he's a he's a minus number. That yeah. to me is where I'm like, eh, okay, now we've gone too far. Now yeah. the value really has been kind of completely removed. Most improved player. Uh mentioned him earlier. Shea Gellers Alexander, 3600 at FanDuel. He's been phenomenal. If the way to kind of think about this is what if we're wrong and the thunder aren't bad? Mm-hmm. That's the way to think of it is if you put those two things together, because if jaw hadn't done what jaw did last year, Darius Garland and Desmond Bain are probably the next two guys for most improved player. And mm-hmm. Garland made an all-star team for a team that was in playoff positioning at all-star and that we've seen that be a consistent trend with most improved player. If we're wrong and the Thunder are not bad, and again, I'm not willing to go that far, but I'm willing to go that far at 36 to one. That's the model here is Shea's putting up the numbers. He's unstoppable. He looks fantastic. There's always the concern that OKC is going to shut it down in the second half of the year. Exactly. I think assuming maybe is not, it's not a reason not to bet it right now. If you, like, if you, if I say to you, do you think that based off of his current projection, if he had this season, the rest of the way, do you think, the odds are good on him to win most improved versus 36 to one implied. If yeah, the answer I mean, is yes, then yeah. I think you it's got good value because, because I don't know. I just, I don't know how to project. I'm not willing to sit here and say like the thunder will absolutely shut him down. I don't think that they're as transparent as people make them out to be. If Shea averages 31, five and seven for the entire year, he should be a first team all NBA. I mean, that is an incredible production. And I think you and I agree with this. We we don't believe the Thunder are bad. They actually were not bad last year as well as they they choose to be bad 
with 40 games left in the season, they stop playing their players. So there is that risk there. I love that pick though. I'm a big Shea guy anyways. I already have a, a position on Brunson, but I want to give some some flowers to Keldon Johnson on the Spurs yeah. right now. 30, 30 to one right now. He's the best player on the Spurs. He doesn't have Shea numbers, but he is averaging 25, five and four, shooting over 43% from three. Um, you know, he's always going to be coached up well in San Antonio. He's going to be in a, a good system, in a position to really succeed there. And he's been doing it without, you know, Devin Vassell, Tyus Jones has been out for a, a little bit, or sorry, Trey Jones. So, I mean, like, I think Keldon Johnson needs a needs a little bit of flowers right now, but the fact that he has better odds than Shea is a little surprising to me. You mentioned Jalen Brunson, 30 to 1 for Jalen. So there's still value out there on, on him. I was surprised to see 30 to 1 still uh, for Brunson, given the Knicks have started off well. I would have thought that number was have shot up. Anthony Edwards still the favorite, and I haven't really heard anything about Ant this season. Like, I just Mm-mm. been there. He's been fine, but not a lot of buzz around Ant early in the season. Finally, defensive player of the year. Uh, I still like Marcus Smart just real quick. I still think that's, I'm not going to bet bet it, but that's the best value on the board to me. I think we got we to gotta wait to see how these defenses adjust because right now no one's no one's playing defense except Milwaukee. <laughs> just, there's no good defenses. So it's, you know, Marcus Smart's going to get a lot of attention. I still think that's the best value on the board. But D, DPO wine is, is one that I would say there's, even though it's more uncertain and so that causes good value, uh, for me personally, I don't want to bet this right now at all. Yeah, this one's tough. Like for me personally, I would love for Luca to win MVP and your guy Giannis to win defensive player of the year. I mean, he's averaging about two blocks a game, a little over, a little over, you know, half a steal a game, but he is rebounding at a toward pace, the highest of his career, over 14 rebounds a game, which is the re- many, many of the reason why Gobert has won it so many times. So if he's rebounding it just as well as Rudy, but guarding all five positions like he normally does. I mean, I like Giannis as a sneaky pick there for Defensive Player of the Year. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for Buckets Recap on a Monday. Thanks for joining us. You can catch us tomorrow. AC's going to be back with me overnight for our Best Bets episode along with Jay Money. We'll have that for you in the feed tomorrow. Best Bets episode Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and the Friday Futures episode with Brandon Anderson. Till then, give us those five-star reviews. Let us know how much you like, how much you like the show. Really appreciate that. Subscribe, rate, review. Check us out on YouTube. Download the award-winning Action Network app. For Albert Wynn, Alex Capper, I'm Matt Moore. We'll see you guys again next time. Let's get buckets. <laughs>